Shabbat Shalom, everyone. We are today, we are going to get back on track after taking just a brief little sabbatical last week from our study on the book of Jude. And currently, we are looking at three specific events that the writer has brought to the table, one after another. And thus far, we've covered the first two. The first one being this, it's Israel being destroyed in the wilderness. We know an entire generation of Israel wiped out with just a few exceptions, a couple men. Completely, these are, again, these are men that experienced the grace of God, they experienced the blood of the Lamb, their firstborn uh, were saved from the wrath of God, and because that blood was shed, they were literally uh, taken out of the land. They were released from the grip of Pharaoh, that's the power of the blood, And they're brought through the Red Sea, they're baptized, as Paul would say, into Moses and into the sea, and then they come into covenant with God. So here's the deal, everything that Israel saw, they saw the miracles, they saw the power, they saw the awesomeness, they heard the voice of God. And yet, as they get into the wilderness, they begin to disobey, and God gets to the point and says, okay, you need to go up and take the land, and they say, we're we're not going to do it, we can't do it. And we're grasshoppers in their sight. In essence, they're saying, God, you can't do it. And God said, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to waste you all in the wilderness. And then they had a change of mind. They said, oh, now we'll go up. And then he said, too late. Too late. They never saw the land. And the second event that the writer brings to the table, he's building one event on top of another, are these angelic beings that left their holy abode and they t- completely took, play, they, they took part in an abomination in the sight of God. And they genetically modified or were modifying relations with the heavenly and with the earthly. And as we read in the book of Enoch, they begged for forgiveness. And yet God wouldn't give it to them forever. He says, you will never receive forgiveness. I mean, we're starting to see a side of God I don't want to see. I don't want to even believe this exists. The third one we're going to look at today is this, Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm going to tell you, with each one of these, we are confronted, as I mentioned in the last message, we are confronted with a reality that is overwhelming, a reality that maybe some of you pretend isn't real. And that is this, a merciful God who shows no mercy. In every one of these situations, we find a merciful God moving, but not showing mercy in these contexts. Most frightening and terrifying thought you could possibly conceive. And I'm going to tell you, what you're going to be prone to do is to slide to the side, because who in the right mind wants to think about that? Nobody. You want to slide that side, move that under the rug, and let's just think about all the wonderful things that God has in store for us, which... We know that's a biblical fact. But I'm going to tell you right now, unless you allow this to penetrate into your heart, let it work in. You're not going to have this unreal, supernatural fear of God, which is going to give you the power to break sin out of your life, to literally break the chains, to get rid of that idolatry and covetousness and sexual immorality. That so many people are struggling with today in this addiction. You need the fear of God. You need to understand you're going to continue down the path you are. You will meet a merciful God who shows no mercy. And trust me, that is not where you want to be. 
You need this power. By the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. The fear of the Lord leads to life. We could go on and on, scripture after scripture. We need this fear. I'm begging you, let this sink in. In this generation right now, you need to allow this to work. You need this kind of supernatural power to walk in the path of righteousness. Period. You know, I think of Psalm 119, verse 120. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. The psalmist doesn't want to meet this God, a merciful God who shows no mercy. He listens to the judgments, he studies the judgments, and he is terrified it drops him as it should. And what does that do? Keeps him on the path of righteousness. And this is where we need to go. That said, let's break into Jude's statement on this third event. This is how he articulates it. As Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And we'll get more into this next week. But basically, what Jude is doing is he's telling you, it's time to go back. It's time to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah and look at how God dealt with it. Look at how God deals with sin. You better take note because if you fall into the trap, he's coming in the exact same way. Don't think you will have a different outcome. You will not. Now, given the weight of what Jude has brought to the table, we're going to dig into this story like we did with the last two events And we're going to draw out a lot. And it's going to give you a lot of perspective. Uh, So much so as you're going to see just how relevant this story of Sodom is to your life right now living in this age. It is stunning to know how relevant it is. And I know you'll appreciate that as we continue. And so with that said, I want to take you to the book of Genesis. Now the story is found in chapter 19. We need to go back a little bit before that. We need to go back to chapter 13 because chapter 13 is going to give us some perspective of what is the land like? And this is something I think is very important to identify before we really break in. And so in verse 13, we read this. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. You know, any wonder why, you know, when Abraham and Lot split off and Abraham told Lot, hey, you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You select where you want to go. Understand something. When Lot lifted his eyes to look at all the land, what stood out? Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? It was the most picturesque, most beautiful, had this abundance of resources. I mean, it was literally a land flowing with milk and honey, it's, in fact, it is so incredible that it's literally likened to the Garden of Eden. The decision was easy for Lot. And so this gives us some insight in regard to the land and how attractive and beautiful it is. It flourished. The only problem was, as we get to verse 13, is this. Then the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. That's your problem. The men of Sodom, okay, the land's beautiful, It's plentiful, it's abundant, it's picturesque, 
but the inhabitants are completely godless. They are vile. Now, here's the thing. You know, most people, when you, when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah, what you think of is one sin, and it's a heavy one, but the sin of homosexuality, right? Even today, we use the term sodomize and sodomite. I mean, it's, it's even relevant to this day, thousands of years later, still relevant to this day. You need to have a broader perspective of what's going on in Sodom because it's not one sin that's going on. And to help you understand this, I want to take you to the Targums. The same passage, Genesis 13, 13, but I'm going to take you to the Targums. And look at what it says. This is a very detailed description. And the men of Sodom were depraved in their wealth, uh, or depraved in their wealth one with another. That's interesting because this is an aspect. So not only is the land rich and abundant and it's flourishing, now we know the inhabitants are wealthy, incredibly wealthy. And they sinned in their bodies. Now here you go. This is something that we all understand. They were sexually immoral, even to the extreme of engaging in uh, homosexuality. But then it says this, they sinned with open nakedness. Let me repeat that. <laughs> they sinned with open nakedness. In other words, they didn't know how to blush. See, they got to the point where, you know, as Paul talks, they seared their conscience with a hot iron. Talks about this in 1 Timothy, I think, 4. They were to this point, Sodom had got that far, where there was no shame, where it's no longer in the closet, as they say. But they're proud of themselves for doing what they're doing. And if that isn't enough, then we read this, and the shedding of innocent blood. Now, if you're paying attention here, if you were to remove the resource that I have up here, Targum Genesis, remove Genesis 13, 13, and you were just to read through this, I would have told you you wrote this about America. I would have told you, as you look at this great wealth, we know our land from the east into the west, this land has been blessed incredibly, like the land of Sodom. We know its inhabitants are wealthy above all the rest of the world. We do know this. We also know, and they sinned in their bodies. Does, does America right now struggling with sexual immorality? That's insane. But in such a way that there's no shame. See, today... Instead of being ashamed of our sins, we actually put on parades to glorify our sin. Can't make this stuff up. And then, the shedding of innocent blood. Metaphorically, we have rivers of blood of children that have never been born flowing in this country. We are literally, we are living in Sodom today. This is a perfect, this isn't, oh, it's kind of like it. This is a perfect description if that doesn't get you unglued, if that doesn't send chills up and down your spine, well, just hang tight. Because the further we get into the story, it's going to happen. We're, this is serious. This is as serious as it gets as we read the word. And, and that's why, how many times have you heard me say in the last year, okay, it's getting ridiculous. I'm, I'm reading scripture, but now I'm living it. It was much more comfortable as a child to read these stories and go, oh man, that would have been bad. That would have been awful. Yeah, I can't say that anymore. Because now we're a part of it. I mean, it's like I'm living, a, we're, we're, we're walking it out and somebody's writing the book as we're living this out. 
They practice strange worship. This land has been infiltrated by strange worship. It's all over the place. And they rebelled greatly against the name of the Lord. There's a little bit of background on Sodom that is so eerily similar to what we're going through today. But that's not all. We go to the Apocrypha, we get some more information. We read in the book of Sirach, he did not spare the neighbors of Lot, whom he loathed on account of their arrogance. They were known for pride. See, I I love Proverbs, when pride comes, then comes shame. And we, we typically hear the saying, pride comes before the fall. Uh, One of the things that you want to be looking for before judgment in hell is unleashed is that attribute. Are the inhabitants proud? Are they arrogant? Well, this is where we're at with Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Josephus throws his hat into the ring and tells us why they were so arrogant. Interesting. About this time, the Sodomites grew proud, and here's why on account of their riches and great wealth. See, with the abundance of riches, man, comes a lot of corruption. It can. It can corrupt a soul. And you know, the Torah talks about, it warns us in Deuteronomy 8. And when you've eaten and you're full, because God has blessed you abundantly, see that you do not forget God. Somehow riches have this power in in, in this age to get people to forget they're God. It's incredible. And, and it, it makes me think even, of, you, we can go to the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation, who they boasted of their great wealth. And they said, we have need of nothing. And because they're the church, most likely what you would have heard of, God has blessed us abundantly and we have need of nothing. And yet the Lord tells them, you are lukewarm. You don't know that you are poor. Blind, miserable, wretched, naked. You don't know it. I assure you, the inhabitants of Sodom do not know it. This is part of the problem. They do not know that they're poor, miserable, wretched, and naked. Now we continue on. They became unjust toward men and impious towards God. Now the justice system gets broken. People are no longer getting fair trials. The judges are corrupt. Interesting. And they're impious, impious towards God. There's no fear of God. They do not revere him. They will not honor him. You ever notice a shift in the last two decades, the last 20 years, I would say, at how bold and blasphemous Hollywood has become against our Lord, against Yeshua. Blasphemous. No compunction about taking his name in vain. No compunction about making fun of him and mocking him. At all. This is, see, this is the attitude of the inhabitants of Sodom. It's the exact same thing we're seeing in our country. We continue. Inasmuch as they did not call to mind the advantages they received from him, they hated strangers and abused themselves with sodomitical practices. Now, this, this component right here is really important. Right here. They did not call to mind the advantages they received from... See, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father through the name of Yeshua. They will not acknowledge that. 
They would not acknowledge him in their mind. They were unthankful. They were unholy. And here's the deal. The inhabitants of Sodom, they wanted nothing to do with God in here. Don't talk to me about righteousness. Don't talk to me about Jesus. Don't talk to me about biblical requirements. I mean, this is the mantra that exists in the days of Sodom. And what's interesting is this. Paul brings this up in Romans chapter 1, where he talks about men would burn in their lust for other men. Things would get so bad that women would exchange the natural use of, 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 of a man, and they would turn to a, to, to a woman. This is how bad things would get. Why does Paul, it's interesting, he gives us the answer of why it got to that point. Paul, who's a contemporary of Josephus, says the exact same thing Josephus says. Paul says this, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Interesting. Everything that I see happening in this country and at a governmental level, they want nothing to do with God and holiness. Keep the commandments out of it. Let's have separation of church and state. That's why we kicked out prayer out of schools. We don't want to hear it anymore. That's scary because when you do that, and this stuff was, this stuff was already starting back in the 50s and 60s. That's when it started. And are we surprised that we've been given over totally to a debased mind now? That we are where we're at today. We shouldn't be if we know our history. Actually, scarily enough, we're right on track. We're right on track with the inhabitants of Sodom. With this background, we're going to break into the story. And we read this. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them. Oh, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Something I want to point out right on the front end here. How many of the inhabitants of Sodom ran out to meet these men? None. They didn't care. Yet with Lot, what do we see? The moment he sees them, he doesn't wait for them to come to him. He goes to them, and he doesn't go and just shake their hand. He falls down before him, prostrates before them, and pays them honor. Great honor. This is what he does. See, now we're, we're, getting, we're just starting to get a little insight into the character of Lot. We move on to verse 2. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house, spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. Why did these angels respond this way? You know, one of the things that I, I struggle with, and, and you've heard me talk about this before, is some of the commentaries are so reckless, so reckless, and they're so disturbing. Uh, and this is one of, as you, as you study this story, this is one of those moments that it doesn't go so well uh, with many commentaries. Because commentators come on the scene as, as, well, the angels, because they knew the character of Lot and that he was just a, a filthy scoundrel, they did not go with him. That's why they refused him. L listen to me carefully. No, it's not. That is not why they refused him. All you need to do is go back to the previous chapter. You will understand why they were in the open square. God, God as he's, he tells us in Genesis 18, that an outcry has come to him in regard to the inhabitants of Sodom. 
And the Lord says, so I will go down there and see if these things are so and see if they're true. How did the Lord do that? He sent his two servants. He sends his two angels and they're in the open square doing recon. They need to know if they need to destroy this land. This is why they're there, period. However, as we continue, listen to how Lot responds. But he insisted strongly. You read this in the Hebrew, it's more forceful. In other words, Lot would not take no for an answer. How can he do this? He's talking to these men, and these men flat out told him, nope, we're, we're going to hold our ground right here. Lot wouldn't allow it. Why? Because Lot knew the inhabitants of the land and their proclivities. He knew how they are wired. He knew they're immersed in iniquity and sexual perversion. And he did not want these men subject to that. So he's showing this great character. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Amazing. This is not just something where Lot goes out to meet them, say, oh, how you doing? He prostrates himself to show them honor. It's not even just, hey, I'm begging you, come to my house. Now he does everything in his power to make their stay enjoyable. I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say hospitality is one of the greatest expressions of the faith, period. Where you put the interest of others above your own. This is an awesome, everything we're seeing from this man is awesome right now. Absolutely incredible. And you do understand that this is why, you know, Peter, when you go to Second Peter, our companion to Jude, this is our companion to Jude. And Peter calls him righteous Lot. And we'll get more into that next week. But he calls him righteous Lot, who, who tormented his soul, seeing and hearing of their lawless deeds. Well, you're getting to see a, a, a real picture of that character. And lest we forget, we just came out of the Hebrews study not that long ago. But when you go to Hebrews 13, what do you read right off the bat? Let brotherly love continue. Right? This is what it says. Let brotherly love continue. The very next thing it says, don't forget to entertain strangers, for some have unwittingly entertained angels. Well, that's interesting. See, because this hospitality of going out and being hospitable to these strangers, Lot is quite literally entertaining angels, but we're told that it's an act of chesed. It's an act of love, loving kindness. I mean, this is the purest form of the faith, people. And Lot is showing this with excellence. All right? Now, continuing on, verse 4. And, you know, establishing Lot's character, before we go on, establishing his character is going to be vital for this story as we navigate this. Verse 4, we read this. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, oh, look at this, both, it's not just old, it's not just the young, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, what did they do? They surrounded the house. The inhabitants of Sodom have now surrounded. Isn't it a, a tidbit of irony, if you will? The angels didn't want to leave the open square. Why? Because they're there to do recon to find out whether or not they should be destroying the city. Well, message received because now these men are literally coming to them. And they are going to see firsthand what these men are made out of what these men are given into. In verse five, we read this. And they called to Lot and said to him, 
We are the men who came to, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Their intentions are made. You know, the angels came. They wanted to know, how is this going to go? What does this look like? Is it really this bad? Well, now they're crying out. We want to have perversion, perverted relationships with these literally holy watchers. This is, I mean, this is bonkers. This is absolutely so perverse. The perversity has gone this far. See, they didn't go out, you know, these inhabitants didn't go out to greet these angels or these, you know, who had appeared, they appeared as men. These strangers, to show them kindness, no, their welcome mat is we want to sexually abuse you. This is our welcome mat. You want to talk about a sick, twisted, perverted mind. This is it. And here's the thing. I'm, let me say this. Because the parallels are uncanny. When you see a society that has no compunction about such dramatic sexual perversion, even getting to the point of homosexuality, and that is running amok, and it's not, in society, it's not something that's frowned upon. No, it's something that's celebrated. When you see it at that level, and they all come together as one, you have a serious problem in society. You are literally staring down the, the barrel of judgment. This is what's happening. I'm telling you right now, this is how close we are to judgment. Our society is functioning exactly how Sodom's society was functioning right before it was destroyed. I'm going to tell you, if there was ever a time in your life to get it in order, to get your faith right with God, to make sure you're in a true, authentic relationship with Yeshua, it is this very moment. It is right now. It is as you don't leave the building without getting right with the Lord. That's where we're at. I mean, the level of depravity being sown is, it's inconceivable. Again, I tell you 20 years ago, I could never imagine the things that are happening today. Ever. I mean, not even. You could could have wrote it in a book and I would have laughed. Continuing on in our story, verse 6, we read this. So Lot went out with them through the doorway, or to them, rather, through the doorway, shut the door behind him. Okay, I want to stop right there, because what do you have? You have Lot. Now pay attention to Lot and how he's thinking. He goes out the door. He's going to these inhabitants that are crying out, we want to sleep with these men. And he shuts the door behind him, putting a barrier between him, the inhabitants, and the angels. And this is, this, it just shows his character. He's wanting to protect them every step of the way. But then he says this, Please, my brethren, alna achai, in the Hebrew, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. This is so important. Does Lot go out that door? Does he storm out that door? And scream, God hates fags. You all should burn in hell. Do you notice that this is an important point? Does Lot do this? Because there's a lot of Christians that are doing this today. Lot doesn't do this. What we are seeing here is so incredible. Because do you know what Lot is doing? Lot is going out preaching the gospel. He's petitioning, he's begging them. He's asking them, stop this. 
Don't engage in this. We are literally witnessing the mercy of God, and it is the last mercy that you will see given to Sodom. And what was it? What was it? It was repent. It was repent. I mean, you think about this, the mercy of God being poured out through Lot in his preaching, the preaching of righteousness. He can't instruct them not to do wickedly with no basis, more of no moral basis. He, his standard is God's righteous standard. I think of Paul in, in Romans 7. I would not have known sin except the Lord said, thou shalt not covet. He would not have known it. And yet this is exactly what Lot is bringing to the table. Absolutely amazing. And he's doing it in the spirit of chesed, in the spirit of compassion, not hatred. Don't, don't even for a moment be confused why we're not getting more of the LGBT community to come in the church. They, for many reasons, for many reasons, are justified at looking at Christianity and saying, these are people that just are vile and hateful. All I get from them is hate and not love. You will never bring anyone into the kingdom of God unless your motive is truly caring about them and, and love. You see, humanity recognizes love. They recognize the authentic. There are people who were a part of LGBTQ who have been taken out. In every one of the stories, I can tell you the common denominator is somebody showed me love. And they also were willing to share the truth with me. They were also willing to go that far. This is exactly what you see Lot doing. What an awesome template. This is an awesome template. This is how we have to be handling our situations uh, today. I think of Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous strike me, and it shall be kindness. Let him rebuke me, and it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Lot has brought to his brothers, whom he calls brethren, achai, ach, my brother. He has brought them the excellent oil. The only problem is, is their head is going to refuse it. They're not going to accept it, but he has done what you would expect a righteous man to do. Again, Peter calling Lot righteous. Now, as we continue, this is where things get a little crazy. We're about to see something that I would say, biblically speaking, is one of the most controversial things or statements made in the entire Bible. I mean, it ranks up there with the craziness of uh, you know, the, the Levi chopping up his concubine and sending 12 parts out to Israel. That, that's absurd. That sounds crazy. Well, we're about to read something close to that. Lot says, see now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. There's two things I want to mention. First is what I have highlighted here. This is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. We know for a fact why Lot brought them in, because he knew their proclivities. He knew they were perverse, and he doesn't want harm coming to these strangers who he's unwittingly entertaining angels. These are holy watchers straight from heaven. Whatever Lot does to them, make no mistake, he's doing to the Lord. So think about this. Whatever he's going to do for them, he's doing for the Lord. And this gets me into the frame of mind of what Yeshua says. When he says, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. 
And the response is, when, Lord? Surely I see, to the least of these you've done it, you've done it unto me. Isn't that interesting? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, we, we see this aspect of Lot coming over. But then we look at this statement here and talk about throwing a wrench in everything. I have two daughters. Let me bring them out to you. Here's my plan. You know, let's just do this. And I cannot tell you how many conversations. I don't know. I've had so many conversations, uh, primarily with women who are traditionally not really excited about this passage for obvious reasons, because they look at Lot and go, this, this guy's a dirtbag. This guy thinks so little of women that he'll just, you know, his two daughters are like taking out the trash. Let's just, you know, toss them to the wolves. Who cares about them? Listen to me carefully. If that's your perspective, that is not what is being conveyed in this story. Be careful. You need to look at the internal context. You need to look at the external context. Be very, very careful at how you handle this. And so, how do we handle this? How, how, how do we look at this? Well, let me begin by taking you to the Targums on this very passage. The Targum reads almost verbatim with just one little twist. And check this out. Now, keep in mind, this is the sages. This is their, they're translating from the Hebrew to the Aramaic. And this is how they translated it. Here we go. Oh, I have two daughters who have not... Uh, who have had no dealing with a man, I would now bring even them out to you to do to them as is me before you rather than you should do evil to these men. In other words, isn't isn't this fascinating? Because as you see it like this, now it's almost verbatim, but as you put this together, now you see the great emphasis of his love for his daughters because what he's doing, he's making a point. He goes, he would rather bring out his two daughters, who obviously he would love. This is, this is what makes it meaningful, than hand, hand these men over. Now, that's a completely different twist. See, Lot knew at all cost, at all cost, he must defend these men. And Yeshua comes out with another interesting statement. He said, whoever loves his mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves their son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. I want to be very clear. Lot is not throwing his daughters to the wolves. His whole focus is on these men, which, honestly, it's on the Lord. His whole focus is in protecting them from this perversion. And can I add something to this? The most obvious, guess what? Doesn't happen in the story. These women never get thrown to the wolves. The Lord steps in. It never happens. you got to look at the broader context here of what's going on. And we go on to verse 9. We read this. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here. And he keeps acting as a judge. Keeps acting as a judge. The first thing I want to mention here, because this is loaded. This is a loaded statement. First thing I want you to recognize, again, The whole story of Sodom, including this statement, is highly prophetic, meaning it's relevant for us right now. And I can prove this through the words of Yeshua. He says this, Yeshua says, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. 
Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Isn't that interesting? Yeshua, our master, he takes you back to Sodom and said, you better study this. You better learn this. You better know the characteristic that society was bearing because that's exactly what it's going to look like when I return. You want to talk about putting some things into context as we start going and looking at exactly what sins Sodom was being loaded down with, and we look out our front window today. Let me ask you, how close do you think we are to the return of the coming of the Son of Man? He's at the door. So as we go back to this in in verse 9, in this statement by the inhabitants, he keeps acting as a judge. The inhabitants are irritated with Lot. They're irritated with his message. They're irritated with righteousness. They don't want anything to do with it. They certainly don't want someone coming and convicting them and trying to persuade them and say, hey, you guys shouldn't sin anymore. It infuriates them. It angers them. So, interestingly enough, one of the things that we need to look for If, in fact, we are in prophecy, if, in fact, we are living in the days of Sodom, if, in fact, the judgment of God is at the door and his return is soon, one of the things we should see is that society will become intolerant of your faith, your beliefs, and righteousness. What are we seeing today? Every day, you flip the page, every day that goes by, our society is getting more and more intolerant for righteousness. In fact, we've never seen it move this fast. We've never seen wickedness sweep across the land so fast as we're seeing it now where churches are under attack. I mean, they're under attack. Jeremiah 6.10, I want to share this with you. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them and they have no delight in it. Why am I sharing this with you? Well, here's what's fascinating. We see patterns all the way throughout Scripture. We see that in Sodom, the inhabitants had gotten to the point they didn't want to hear nothing about righteousness. We refuse to hear it. Isn't it interesting? Even in Yerushalayim, the inhabitants of Yerushalayim, whom Jeremiah was sent to with the word of the Lord, guess what? We're going to hear it. In fact, the law of God was repugnant to them. It was offensive to start stating all these holy principles and the things that you're doing wrong. That was offensive to them. That's what we're seeing today. Jumping ahead, therefore do not pray for this people nor lift up a cry or prayer for them nor make intercession to me for I will not hear. And this is where it gets scary because when a society gets to that point, where he refuses to hear the word of God, they become offended like the inhabitants get offended at Lot's message from the Lord of righteousness. You're as good as dead. Judgment is coming. You're cut off from the Lord. I mean, Proverbs 13, 13. He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Psalm 119, It is time for you to act, O Lord. They have regarded your law as void. How scary is that? The cry, the righteous. I mean, this guy was inspired. You know, the word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is crying out, time for you to act, Lord. They're not hearing your law anymore. 
They will not hear it. Again, it's a sign that judgment is coming upon you. That's what troubles my soul as I look out the front window of this country. That wants nothing to do with Jesus, with righteousness, with wholesome, with, with, with God's design for marriage, with God's design for sexuality, with God's design for life. Instead, we pass legislation to slaughter our children on the altar of Baal. That's insane. So as we go back here, and their statement to Lot, he keeps acting as a judge. Look at what happens next. Now, we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. Again, you're going to know when you're living in the days of Sodom, when you're at that template and judgment is at the door, one of the things they're going to do is turn on you. They're angry. And they're so angry, so sick and tired of all your righteous babble and all your holy convictions and all this talk of you know, God's design for marriage and you, know, you don't care about women's productive, reproductive rights. There, there, there comes a time where they're just going to turn. Here comes the persecution. What can you expect to happen? What do you think is going to happen very, very soon? You better believe persecution is coming. I think of Yeshua's words in John 7, 7. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify that its works are evil. What did Lot do? He went out and testified that their works in Sodom and Gomorrah were evil. And you're going to experience the exact same thing Lot experienced. If you have Yeshua living in your heart, and he is speaking through you, and you speak righteousness, you will testify that these things are wicked. And they will hate you. Now, even though Yeshua says the world cannot hate you, but it hates me, what he's referencing is actually, and you can find this in in Matthew chapter 10, actually. He says, uh, the world is going to hate you. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end. What he's referring to, as you bring both of these, there's not a contradiction. What he's saying is, is that the only way they can hate you is if I'm living inside your heart and you're speaking my word. That hatred is directed towards me. The world hates you. Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world love its own because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. And so as the hatred begins to boil over, and you start to feel it, remember, Yeshua called you out of the world. That's why you're hated. And they're hating him, that righteousness. When you say, you know what, we shouldn't slaughter innocent children, that's the righteousness of Yeshua. When you do profess, no, God's design for marriage is one man, one woman, you're professing the holiness of Yeshua. But be prepared, you're going to be hated you know, I, I, I got to tell you, everything that we see, the Ten Commandments are offensive, prayer is offensive, everything in this book is offensive. They don't want it in academia anymore. They don't want it in grade school. They don't want any of this going on. They are purging everything out. And notice, persecution is starting to come to the church. Over the last year, I don't need to tell you how the church has fared with governmental intrusion. They're shutting down churches all over the place. And what's amazing is a lot of these churches never recovered. They were decimated. And, and some of you might say, well, that's a good thing. 
And that's a good thing because they weren't really the church anyways. I'm going to tell you that the Antichrist moving is never a good thing. Listen to me clearly. It is not a good thing. And I certainly am not glad that wishy-washy Christians are getting, you know, pushed outside. We want them to get radically saved and get right with him. I'm not looking to lose anyone. And why? Because Yeshua is not willing that any should perish. But there is a real move against the churches. I mean, I just read this. CBN came out with this article, went viral. Church responds as police barricade sanctuary while a pastor awaits trial for breaking COVID orders. How ridiculous is that? I'm going to call it what it is. That's ridiculous. A virus that has a 99% survival rate? That has cures, knowable cures for dollars. And you're going to try to convince me that that's why you need to shut down the church? This is demonic. It's from the pit of hell. Don't believe it for a second. And then you see this in a judge. This was in line with this. It says, Grace Life is being walled off by two layers of security fencing and a black tarp to obscure the entrance to the church. And you have the, the, the Canadian police, private paladin security are here. They have no documentation to present to the church regarding closure, but are keeping members off the property. Yeah, that's normal. No. There's nothing normal about that. The enemy is coming. See, because churches like this that are going to stand for truth and so, no, we're not going to be pushed around by the, the spirit of Antichrist. We're not. We're going to hold fast to our faith. We're going to declare Jesus as Lord, and that's the end of it. And let the chips fall where they may. But this is the kind of insanity. This is the response of the Sodomites to Lot. This is how they want to respond. They want to shut Lot down. And that's what we're seeing right now. It's absolutely demonic. And what about this? The Heritage Foundation, many, many other publications picked it up. H.R. 5, the Equality Act. How many of you are following this? You should be following this. It's kind of important See, because this is a sodomitical move. This is no equality, and I love how Heritage put it. This is not an equality act at all. This is a specific move to destroy the church. There's no question about it. And to impose perverse measures, to legislate perverse measures. Pure and simple. Look at what it says. H.R. 5 would empower the federal government to impose civil and criminal punishments on citizens who dissent from Soji ideology. In other words, sexual orientation and gender identity. So if you don't agree with their philosophy, you're going to be punished. It, it reminds me of Sodom. If Lot doesn't agree, he now is facing punishment. They're moving against him. This is how it works. The bill would violate their rights to freedom of conscience Religion and speech. The bill would also take away basic authorities uh, of local communities to determine who is allowed in a single-sex facilities and whether biological men and boys are allowed to join women's and girls' sports teams. You know, th th this, this was a sodomite dream. This insanity. Doctors nationwide will not be allowed to treat gender dysphoria according to their own best judgment and even a referral to another doctor could be a violation of H.R. 5. You've never seen such draconian measures. You know, no one's going to survive this in the sense of, in, in, in other words, you think you're going to hide in, in, with your employer? There isn't going to be any business that can hide. You're a medical professional. You're not going to be able to hide from this. 
They're going to come. They're intentionally going to come and make sure the education system, it doesn't matter where you're at. The church, they're going to make sure that you're in line with SOGI laws. Under state SOGI laws, activists have sued hospitals in California and New Jersey for discrimination because the hospital's doctors declined to remove reproductive organs of healthy patients, which is what they signed up for in their Hippocratic Oath. Do no harm. They're being responsible doctors. But that, you got to throw that out, throw that completely out the window. SOGI laws would pressure medical professionals to practice such medicine regardless of any scientific or conscious base objections. In other words, you're gonna, we're going to turn you into Nazi doctors and you're, you're going to start doing medical experiments on people because that's what this nonsense is. Trying to give these children as young as 11 years old all, all these medicines and stuff that go in line with this, I mean, that's, that's, that's child abuse. Professional counselors could be compelled to affirm same-sex marriage and transgender ideology in their work. Section 2.7 of the bill labels talk therapy to address gender dysphoria as a form of discrimination. In other words, LGBT, someone that's in that realm, comes to you, you're a counselor, and they say, I need help. And that counselor helps them. But that counselor is a, a person of faith. Well, there's going to be problems. That's not going to fly. And isn't it ironic? This is the, the SOGI laws. You've you got to understand this. Equality, they're actually stripping the rights away from the LGBT community. That is really twisted, diabolically clever to actually take the rights away where you don't give them the decision when they say, you know what, I'm hurting, I'm in pain, I need help, I need to talk to somebody. They're gonna, now they're going to do is they're only going to funnel you to talk to those who are soji uh, cleared. Not anyone else who's got you know, some you know, idea of faith and Bible and biblical morality that would actually tell you, you know, you know God might destroy this nation if we continue in sin. You, you, you will not inherit eternal life if you continue in this lifestyle, but I will love you and I will be, walk by your side and help you through every step of the way. Not going to be allowed to do that. No, nope, they're, they're going to start funneling this. This is getting insane. Faith-based adoption and foster care agencies that place children only with married, opposite-sex couples would be shuttered. It'd be over. It'd be over before it even began. See, this is, we're, we're seeing this kind of legislation come to town. I mean, the perversion is just getting worse and worse and worse. So let me leave you with this thought. Now is the time to get rooted and grounded in Yeshua. You can't wait. I, I'm going to keep pressing this point. You need to remember, you don't want to meet a merciful God who shows no mercy. You want to meet a merciful king that says, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is who you want to meet. It matters. Your soul matters. So much Yeshua died for it. There's no debate, and you need to remember that, that God loves you so much that he was willing to do that. And you may think, you know what, I'm just too far. I've done too many terrible things. The Bible is very clear, and you can either believe it, but if you reject it, you can never be saved. The Bible is clear. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. End of discussion. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you have to get serious. And you have to move in faith. You have to believe it.